the USDA has roughly around 5,000 different types of apples in a large orchard. And it's called an arc because they have two of every variety. They represent almost all of the named varieties that are left in the U.S., which at one time was over 15,000 that dwindled. Sean Williams from Champaign is on the on the phone with me here on the podcast. You sort of became interested in what's called the Lost Apple Project, which was started by a former FBI agent. And so you just kind of decided, well, I'm going to see what sort of apples are literally hiding in plain sight on tree branches here in Champaign County. Exactly. I, I definitely have to say thank you to Sarah Johnson for um, asking me to write an article about my exploration and my research efforts into the lost fruit trees of Champaign County and the quarterly evening she puts out Midwest Explorer because we wouldn't be talking today if it wasn't for her. Uh, yeah, I read an article. Uh, I've always been fascinated by uh, heirloom varieties of things. I uh, grow heirloom tomatoes and different plants, but I started getting into fruit trees uh, several years ago and had read an article, like you said, about David Bessencourt, who was a retired FBI agent who just got that itch and decided to um, go out and explore what was lost in terms of apple varieties in the Pacific Northwest, in uh, Oregon and Washington State and Western Idaho, and vaulting after he had been, uh, gotten through uh, pruning a friend's orchard uh, and trying to figure out what apples she actually had. So that raised a um, some curiosity um, in my mind of asking myself, okay, what's in Champaign County? If you look around the landscape, it doesn't seem like a place that's very conducive to growing apples or pears and fruit trees um, or lots of them in orchard-type situations with the landscape covered in corn and soybean these days. But at one time, Champaign County had the second largest orchard in the Midwest. And the Midwest saying like all the way over to Kansas and Colorado, the largest orchard. And it was started by a guy named Messiah Dunlap. He had the um, the idea of following the expansion of the Illinois Central Railroad down to Champaign County and as a, I guess, new horticulturist decided to start offering different types of fruit trees and shrubs to uh, the growing area of Champaign and Champaign County. Um, and as this area boomed, so did the, the growth of the railroads uh, that crisscrossed the county from east to west and uh, north to south. The Illinois Central Railroad eventually made its way down to the Gulf of Mexico. And then two other railroad lines, uh, with one having a junction in Tolono, made their way east-west. So Dunlap was really a visionary, and he sort of placed his orchard, I guess, strategically that's sort of the crossroads of all these railroad lines where the Senator Inn and Orchard Lanes now reside. And that became a point to where uh, different settlers could come pick up trees of a magnificent amount of varieties that were found nowhere else in the Midwest as he sourced a lot of things from the East Coast. And even just farmers or you know people who had had small plots of land that they purchased from the railroad so he was a visionary, and he imported lots of different scions to create many different trees and created the second largest nursery, like I said, in the Midwest, with the first largest nursery actually being in Bloomington Normal, and that was called FK Phoenix Nursery. So believe it or not, the two largest Midwest <laughs> nurseries were located right here in central Illinois. Now, how does this all relate to the Lost Apple Project? Well, Towards the 1900s, uh, more like 1901, there was a guy named Benjamin Buckman, 
And he had the largest collection of apples in the United States at that time, with over 1,000 apples. And he was located in Farmingdale, Illinois, which is a bit southwest of Springfield, Illinois. And at this, at this point in the, ni- like the turn of the century, a lot of these cities were connected now by railroads. Well, Benjamin Buckland had a relationship with a gentleman named George Rudy out in Washington. And the Lost Apple Project had re- realized that a lot of correspondence was going on between George Rudy and Benjamin Buckland, Buckman here in Illinois, and they were trading scions and fruit trees and sending varieties back and forth. And so they started looking for apples that were lost in the Pacific Northwest area. And I reached out to them and said, hey, I've got some catalog listings of some other apples, and those apples that you're looking for, they might have made their way around central Illinois. So in my current search of central Illinois or my searches, uh, I'm constantly looking for apples that they're looking for and trying to find some very specific um, Illinois apples, if you will, that were developed just here but were quite outstanding and made their way over to other states like Missouri and Kansas eventually, and possibly even out west to Washington State and Idaho. When, Sean, did you sort of begin this uh, personal quest to to look for, I guess, apple trees that people just drive by all the time or walk by all the time? When did this personal quest begin here in Champaign County? Sure. I Actually, um, it began during the pandemic uh, last year. Okay, not that long. Yeah, so not that long ago. Yeah, exactly. And I've always, you know, I was always out and about looking through the countryside while I drove uh, for trees and flashes of color that might signify, um, you know, an apple or a pear tree. But it wasn't until last year that I finally, you know, we see all those horse apples out there. They're called Osage Orange, these really big, inedible, bright green fruit that have bumps all over those. Well, you can't eat those, but they're plentiful. And they're, one time they were grown as, uh, for hedgerows. They're quite um, strong trees and they make for great fence posts. But it was last year that I spotted a pear that was the most peculiar pear I've ever come across. And I stopped and I looked at it and I picked some pears and I examined them and they were the most peculiar pears. And these pears are what set me off on my fruit exploration journey. Sean, did you bite into a pear <laughs> that you found, did, like that you randomly found? Yes, I did. I I, I bit into this pear, and I thought, wow, this is amazing. Uh, pear is weeks earlier than any other pear that comes into bearing or harvest time here in Champagne, and also it had the very diminished size. It was small. Uh, compared to you know those grocery store varieties like Bartlett or Anjou, um, it was very different. And so I bit into it. It has great sugars, great flavor, and I thought, okay, this is really odd. This is a very old pear tree bearing these very small pears, and at a very early date. This is this doesn't add up. Why is this tree here? How did it get here? And what is this pear? And those are all questions I started asking myself. I, I imagine you probably don't tell too many people where this particular pear tree is, but what what did you discover about that variety of pear? Well, I knew the pear tree was old, so what I needed to do was figure out what kind of pears were sold in Champaign County. And to do that, I needed to really figure out what kind of nurseries or orchards existed here. And all of my internet searches always brought up this name, Dunlap, and the senator in 
or the rural home, as Dunlap had named his um, farm and homestead here in what is now Savoy. I thought, okay, I need to figure out what this guy offered, because this tree is really old, and it seems like he was the only source of trees in the area, besides the nursery I, I aforementioned in Bloomington. And so finding what he offered was going to unlock the mystery of what this pair I was biting into was. And that t- took a lot of sleuthing. But eventually, I was able to uncover his complete orchard listings from the late 1850s into the 1860s. And what I found was this listing of pears, and I sent you a scan of that earlier. I found a listing of trees from his catalog in the pear section. And that pear section told me, okay, these were all the pears that he offered. And he masterfully put what time of year they came into fruiting and harvest, and if they were summer pear, they were winter pear. Well, through a process of elimination and some very old books called The uh, Pears of New York, I was able to deduce that this pear that I was actually eating was called Dearborn Seedling. And this pear was actually from Massachusetts and was held in high regard in the United States as being a very, very good uh, early eating dessert pear, but also something that was easy for farmers and homesteaders to grow. It was disease-free. Very heavy in production, and um, could, you know was quite rewarding. And so, through a process of elimination and working with other books, I was able to figure out that what I was actually working with was the Dearborn Seedling pear, which was a major find. This pear, it was believed, had been extinct since the beginning of the 1900s. You found it in Champaign County in 2020. But see, that's that's a big claim, though claiming that you found a, a pear variety that had been lost for 100 years. So if you're going to make a claim like that, well, you better enlist the services of the United States' foremost expert on pears, Joseph Postman. He was the curator of the National Pyrus Collection. Pears belong to the family of Pyrus in Corvallis, Oregon. That's the living arc of pears and quinces in the United States. Same thing with like the apples, but they're kept in Oregon. So we've got an we've got an ark that's full of of pear seeds in Oregon. We've got an ark of apple seeds in the state of New York. You went to the guy who runs the ark that stores all of the known pear seeds. Yeah, pear trees um, and germplasm, so actual trees. And I reached out to him. I sent him all my scans and my research and pictures and. He told me to go back and grab leaves to look at, and we corresponded, and he had retired. And I said, I think I found Dearborn Seedling. What do you think? And he said, well, I think I found Dearborn Seedling, too, but I've had my doubts about it. And he gave me the history of how he found this tree in Oregon. This is one of the world's foremost experts on pears. He said, why don't you collect some scion wood? This is a cutting from the tree that represents what that tree's genetic makeup is, and it can be you use that to clone the tree. Um, and he said, why don't you take a cutting from that tree of scion and send it out to us, and we'll graft it, essentially creating a clone of this tree, and we'll assess it from there and actually see if this might be Dearborn seedling, which they believe it is. But DNA fingerprinting, uh, which will happen on this pair soon, might unlock the mystery and finally confirm that this might be a pair that has been lost for over 100 years, and it was found in all places, Champaign County, where it was offered by one very 
great nurseryman named Matthias Dunlop. Have you spoken to the to the person that owns the land that that pear tree is on? Do they know what's going on? I don't think they do because that land has changed hands many times and the owners aren't located here in Champaign. So it's more of a corporate agricultural type of situation where the land is leased and it's farmed. That's happened a lot. A lot of these pears and apples that we, you know, people like myself are out hunting and trying to find, they don't reside in orchards anymore. Or, you know, if you go down to the center and and, uh, the bowling alley, you won't find an orchard there. You won't find remnants of old apple trees hiding anywhere. Those were those things were all leveled off, and they happened in the early 1900s. And so, a lot of these varieties that are lost are on the former grounds of farm homes, their yards. This is what they grew for food. This is what they canned. This is what they ate for, you know, a snack. They don't reside in orchards that might have been around a long time ago. They reside on the grounds of former farms or in hedgerows. And many hedgerows have come down with the advent of industrial agriculture and larger farm machinery that needs to move from field to field. But that's where they'll be found. And they'll also be found along the towns that crisscross Champaign County. Towns like Sydney, Philo, Sidoris, Isdale, St. Joseph's, Ogden, Muhammad. Those towns that all crisscross this area could have these pears and apples. And it's worth looking for them because they could still be out there. So you've obviously discovered a pretty important pair, and your you know the DNA analysis will happen soon. What about apples? Have you discovered any rare apples or thought to be extinct apples in Champaign County? I have not, and that's been my obsession, um, and especially since we are in that apple season right now, where a lot of trees flash their beautiful red colors. I have not found two apples that I'm looking for. They're truly Illinois apples, Fulton strawberry apple and Downing's Paragon. And those are the apples that I'm working loosely with the Lost Apple Project on finding here in Champaign County or the central Illinois corridor that stretches over to Springfield. And even all the, you know, even all the way south, uh, going down to Villa Grove and Tuscola and those areas as well, wherever the railroad is. So I have not found those apples along with one pear that's been lost to history, um, and it's called Jalvi. And this is an old pear that you harvested very late in the season, November all the way up to December, depending on the year. So it was a winter pear. Um, and so I'm searching for those three things in particular. And I believe that they still might be out there. And they push me almost every available minute I have to driving around with binoculars now and just looking everywhere. Do you, I mean, do you welcome tips? Like if there is an agricultural family, a farmer who has this old tree on their property, would you welcome an email from somebody like that so you could come and poke around? Oh, definitely. Um, that's exactly what I'm looking for. When I put this all together and I wrote the article, it was almost the way I felt like crowdsourcing, finding lost fruit. I, I envisioned this being a community effort of people that were like-minded, that were curious and wanted to track down something that was lost. You know, agricultural extension offices have been a dead end um, in terms of finding things. Uh, The university has since switched its focus um, to different crops. Farm bureaus aren't very interested in these things, um, as well as local orchards. You know, Um, sadly, things are in this very narrow lane of selection when it comes to apples or pears um, that consumers have to choose from. So it's those landowners, those farmers, those family 
those families that have inherited farms and so forth, it's those folks that have the information or the actual trees that I'm looking to talk to because they could potentially have this, like you said, great apple that's been there for a hundred years that they love. That's one of these missing apples that myself, I'm looking for, and so are other people up in the Pacific Northwest. Well, what I'll do is I'll include your email in the show notes, but we can give it right now. It's CU, as in Champaign-Urbana, cufruitexplorer at gmail.com, cufruitexplorer at gmail.com. So if there is an apple tree or I guess even a pear tree that has been there for years and years and years, and you're not exactly sure what it is, uh, email Sean and he'll come out with his uh, database of knowledge and, and take a look around, right? Yeah, I, I love to examine old trees, um, and old apple trees and pear trees are monsters. So they're not, when we go to the store or we go to the nursery today and we buy a tree, um, you know, that the apple or pear tree might get to about 14, 15, 20 feet. These guys, these old guys, they're monsters. They're 50 feet, sometimes big, and the spread is enormous. They can live well over 100 years, and so... This is not going to be one of those small trees that you know you, you spot. It's going to be a very large specimen. But Joseph Postman, the guy we talked, we, I spoke of a little bit earlier, who's the former curator of the National Pear Collection out in Oregon, he said something very interesting. He said, yesterday's genetics could hold the answers to future problems. And so if we are plagued by some type of bad disease, that will hit apples or pears and things like that. Some of these older things that have been forgotten about these varieties, they might hold the genetic resistance to what is being faced in the future and can be used for breeding and creating new varieties that are tolerant of maybe climate change or disease pressure. And so it's very important, not only from the romantic side point of finding these old things, but from the future survival of things, to have as much genetic information as we can on hand because they might solve some of our future problems that we have not encountered yet. So I got to ask this question. I mean, you've become an apple and pear expert. When you go to the grocery, obviously, these are mass-produced, modified fruits and vegetables that we have there. But do you have a favorite apple? To answer your question, yes. I would probably say that it's American Golden Russet or Ashmead's Kernel, which is also a russet. So I have this love of rusted apples, and that's also what drove my journey into seeking out old fruit trees or grafting them and growing my own personal collection. It's because in the United States and around the world, there's been this training of the consumer that apples should be red, and they should be have stripes on them, be crunchy and crisp with a little bit of sweetness. And if you're ever going to buy an apple that's not red or pink, then it should only be Granny Smith or Golden Delicious as the other two colors. And you'll notice that in the grocery store, or there's a new one called Opal. But they've done a very good job of narrowing the lane in which consumers buy things, and they've trained them very well. And so myself, a self-proclaimed lover of russeted apples and their flavor, didn't like that. And so that's why I started grafting my own fruit trees and searching for apple varieties that were lost. Because the flavors that you get from the grocery store represent a very small snapshot of the flavors you could experience if you had the opportunity to taste different kinds of apples. There are apples that taste like vanilla 
ice cream. There's apples that taste like bubble gum, which a friend of mine just found. Really interesting flavors out there. Um, but you'll never get that at the grocery store. And you'll never find that at you know most mainstream orchards. You really have to seek those things out. And it's unfortunate that things have gone that way with um, industrial agriculture. But it's not just apples. You know, pears, there's only three varieties you really see. Bartlett, Bosque, and Anjou. There are amazing pears out there. There are apples that have red flesh. There are pears that have red flesh. And the flavors are really tantalizing. So in seeking out old varieties or, you know, trying to figure out what are those flavors I haven't tasted, that can lead to a natural curiosity of discovery, whether it's searching for old fruit trees or searching for orchards that grow these things. And there are some, you know, there was an orchard, I think, in Monticello called um, Wolf's Orchard, I believe it was. Yeah, yeah. And that, uh, they, they're no longer selling. I think a couple of years ago, they stopped selling. Yeah, there's a, there's a guy who leased their orchard. Um, his name is John Williams. Um, he's a, he also works at Sola Gradia Farm in um, Urbana. And so he leased their orchard with the idea of um, creating an apple CSA. Um, you would be able to, uh, that's called community-supported agriculture. You would be able to get so many apples a season and pick some different varieties. So he leased Wolf Orchard, but it's been a pretty bad year in terms of disease. And so he had some problems with that. And then the year before has also been very difficult. So that orchard is somewhat still going, but I would say that they probably had the most amount of local selection, if you will, of different kinds of apples that you don't find at the grocery store. Why all this is super important is that I want you to realize one thing from this conversation, um, if you take anything away, is that when Matthias Dunlap was offering apples for sale in central Illinois, there were probably over 17,000 different varieties of apples at that time. Now, in terms of apples in the United States, that if you wanted to get a tree and found someone to you know, graft that tree and give it to you, you probably only have about 4,000 to 5,000 to choose from. So 66% of the varieties you have to choose from are gone. They're extinct. And so, you know, that says a lot about industrial agriculture and the way things have gone in the, the, you know, the progression of agriculture in the United States. And that's why it's important to preserve what still might be out there, because there aren't that many things left to be found. And uh, it takes, you know, it's going to take a lot of people to try to find them. But we'll never recover that 66% that's been lost to just being plowed under or obscurity. Uh, that will never come back. I know that there was a university that worked with uh, a, an apple a grower, manufacturer a few years back to create the Cosmic Crisp. I'm sure you heard of that one. Yes. Yeah. And I don't, you know, the, the problem is, is I remember seeing it in stores here in Champaign and maybe it's still there, but it was really expensive. And I tried one and I thought, I thought, yeah, this is fine. It's not worth the price, though. Which is, uh, I believe, led by Washington State University and has a multi-million, tens of millions of dollars of marketing behind it because everyone wants the next Honeycrisp. And so it's an expensive apple. You have to be licensed by the university. You have to be a licensed orchard. You, uh, they can only sell them in certain stores. That says a lot about the way things are going, creating that next Honeycrisp apple, the, you know, the next big thing that people are just going to say, I love Cosmic Crisp. Um, so there's a lot of money behind these things. But I think what people might have forgotten was 
In the 1950s, 60s, 70s, the University of Illinois, even before that, used to be a center of apple breeding. Really outstanding breeding was going on here in Champaign. Even where, you know, that place they call it Orchard Downs, the student housing, that used to be a giant apple orchard. Um, and then it moved over to where the Meyer is on Windsor, and there's Meadow, Meadowbrook Park. There's like some old creepy apples in there. Well, that's where the breeding happened off of Windsor and Philo Road. So they started a program called PRI, which was Purdue, Rutgers, and Illinois, and they released some outstanding apples, amazing apples. And a lot of people, I think, forget about those apples, but they are local. They are great. People love them all across the U.S. and even the world. It's just that there's not that marketing behind them. It's not, you know, it, it's not that cosmic crisp wow anymore. It's just this real, these really unsung, flavorful apples that were bred here locally. Where in this country could I go if I'm on vacation? I, you know, load up the family in the RV because everybody's got RVs and campers thanks to the pandemic. And you want to go to someplace uh, and enjoy just a huge variety of apples right off the tree. I would go to a place in Ohio and it's called Hawking Hills. It's like a cabin rental place, but he also has acres and acres and acres of trees in Ohio. He's a super nice guy who has a fascination and love of apples, especially red-fleshed apples, apples that when you bite into them are red as a Ferrari. Um, and, but he has a, a massive selection. I would say he has over a 1,000 different apples, and he has a U-Pick place. So you can go there, pick apples from all different types of trees, um, I think it would probably be about mm, maybe a five and a half hour, six hour drive. Um, you know, some, see some fall foliage, go pick some apples. But I would say he had the largest collection. Now in Wisconsin, there are a few places that also have uh, a great selection of apples that you don't have to go that far for. Um, so I would probably, you know, tell you to venture out of state. Um, that's not to say I'd, there's not some great apples here. I just, you know, I just don't know of any places that have the selection of you know, the, the orchard in uh, Wisconsin and also Ohio. Well, I'll, um, I'll, uh, we'll do some digging and include some links in the uh, show notes of this episode. Hey, Sean, thanks so much for hopping on the podcast with me. I appreciate it. Happy hunting for those apples and pears. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Hey, if you just found this podcast and you're listening in an app, please touch the follow or subscribe button so future episodes come down automatically. And if your podcast app offers a way to leave a review, I'd appreciate a rating and a comment. To reach me, email steve at holstein.co or use the contact form at the website holstein.co. I'm Steve. This was the Holstein & Company podcast. Thanks for listening. Have a great week, and I will see you around town.